my mouth and speak your words for your people are listening. And help me, God, to make much of Jesus Christ and nothing of myself. In Christ's name, amen. What's good, family of God? What's good, family of God? Man, it's such a blessing to be here with you today. I'm so thankful to... I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to be here with you today. Um, Pastor Jamal, great friend, great brother uh, that I met when I first moved into the city. And so I'm real thankful for him. Thankful for Pastor Nate, man, which I met at the seminary. Pastor Maceo, which I met today. God has given you guys some shepherds, some men. The scripture says that I'll give you pastors after my own heart. And that they will feed you with wisdom and knowledge. So... Thank God for your pastors, the men that God has placed in your life to shepherd you and be there for you. Amen. They serve under the lordship of Jesus Christ and in the authority that Jesus gives them to pastor this church. Amen. Amen. So um, thank you for having me here. As Jamal said, my name is TC um, and we're starting a new church in the city called New Breed Church. Uh, Hopefully by God's will, we'll launch in 2013. I'm just thankful to be here with you on college day. Thank you to have my wife with me. Crystal Taylor, so thankful for her and uh, just the gift that she's been to me. Amen? Amen. But we need to go ahead and get started because we got a lot to do. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Luke, the 12th chapter, verses 13 through 21. When you've arrived there, could you please stand and signify by saying amen? It seems like when I get near here, I'm kind of, so is it okay if I pull this little stand up here? Cool. See if we can make this work. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Luke 12, 13 through 21. When you've arrived, could you stand, signify by saying amen, unless you're unable, or maybe if you're holding a small child. Okay, Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. Is anyone not there yet? Say, whoa, we give you a minute. That's all right. That's all right. It's all right. We want everybody's eyes to be on the word. Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21. We there now? Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm going to read from the English standard version, which may be different from yours, but mine reads this way. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure 
for himself and is not rich towards God. I want to pause there and put a tag on this text. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Uh, You can be seated. Don't waste your life. Um, Recently, um, America mourned the death of a very popular, very famous uh, singer by the name of Whitney Houston. And it's interesting that when Whitney Houston died, um, her the end of her career was nothing like the beginning of her career. Uh, I don't know, my wife, you know, she knows a lot about singing. I can't sing, but my wife knows some stuff about singing. Uh, I know nothing about it. So you could say to me, can Jennifer Lopez sing? I'd probably say, yeah, she sounds pretty good. Or you could say, see, some of y'all looking at me funny now. But, or, 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 or you could say, can Whitney Houston sing? And I'd be like, yeah, she can sing. So I was talking with my wife about it, and my wife said that she believed that Whitney Houston was the greatest singer of all time. And, and, and I agree with that. I really believe that Whitney Houston was a great singer. Um, but what's funny is, with all of the talent that she had, all the God-given ability to hit notes that nobody else could hit, people would stop here. She'd go 10, 12 t- places higher than, her, right? higher than him, right? So with all the gifting that she had, all the ability that she had, the end of her life, the, the second half of her career was marred by drug addiction and and an abusive relationship to where when she died, a lot of people looked and said, man, she wasted her gift. She wasted what she really could have been. And the reality of the situation is, you know, that's one of the things I think that all of us fear more than anything. You, You know why you get upset? You know why you get scared? Sometimes why you get scared when you get older? The reason why you get scared when you get older is because you start to think about what you haven't accomplished yet in the span of time, and you feel like, man, I'm wasting my life away. Uh, I just turned 30 recently, so let me go ahead and tell on myself. I just turned 30 recently. Um, My wife had a birthday party for me. I know y'all didn't come, but I'm still taking gifts. But but so so my wife had a birthday party for me for my 30th birthday. And just a few months before my 30th birthday party, me and my wife were walking through our neighborhood. We live in Park Duval, um, the villages of Park Duval in West Louisville. And so we were walking through our neighborhood. We were walking our dog one day, I think. And I was talking with my wife and I was talking about, you know, some of the career choices that I had made and some of the decisions I had made and how I wish I would have did this and that differently. Because if I would have did this and that differently, I wouldn't have wasted maybe the last... I felt like I wasted the last six years or so of my life since I got out of college. And the reason why I felt that way was because, like I said, as you get older and time moves on, age bothers you because you think of all the stuff you probably should have accomplished and you feel like you wasted it. But you know what? It's interesting that I believe that God has a different view of a wasted life than we do. It's really interesting because we think I wasted my life if I didn't get this job, have this house, live in this neighborhood, take this many vacations, drive this kind of vehicle when we get to the end of our life and we feel like we wasted our life. But Jesus seems to have a different view of what a wasted life is. So I just want to deal with this text, pull a few things out for you and quickly take my seat. The backdrop for the text, I really want to dig in heavily in 16 through 21. So really when you look at 13 through 15, what's really happening is Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. Uh, chapter Luke 12 verse 1 says that the crowd of people that Jesus is talking to is so big that people are literally stepping on each other trying to get in there, right? 
That's what Jesus would do. He would draw large crowds of people that would want to hear him teach. And so Jesus draws this large crowd and he's teaching them. And it seems that in verse 13, a man kind of interrupts him. And the man says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, what I guess had happened was obviously this guy had a brother and some family member possibly died. And when that family member died, there was an inheritance that was left. And maybe the brother was older and was kind of in charge of the inheritance. And so what he actually did was he at this time wasn't dividing it with him, I guess. Some of y'all, some of y'all can relate to that. Or you've seen it on TV, right? You've seen movies. You know how black, especially black funerals. The funeral happens after the funeral's over. Man, we reading the wheel. What I get, what they get, right? Can I be real? Can I? So, so, and then the funeral happens, and 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 and, and, I, and why I can say black funerals? Because that's the ones I've had the most experience with. <laughs> not to say it's not the other way too, but anyway. Um, so, um, the the funeral must have happened. There was the uh, reading of the will and all of that, and the guy wasn't dividing the inheritance yet. And so this man comes to Jesus, who's a rabbi, a teacher, and he says, "Hey, man, tell my brother to give me what's mine." Tell my brother to give me what's mine. And there was nothing lawfully wrong with him asking for his inheritance, right? Just like us. If somebody in our family dies, they leave something for us, we want it. And it's lawful for us to get it, right? There are laws that are put in place for those things. So, but then look at Jesus' answer, though. Look at Jesus' answer. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Who made me a judge or an arbitrator of you? What Jesus is basically saying is, I didn't come to deal with these little petty earthly issues, but I actually came to save people from sin. It's interesting that people were always trying to put Jesus in boxes that he wasn't even there to do. Y'all notice that? Like people would come to Jesus and they'd ask Jesus stuff. And he's like, man, my kingdom's not of this world. Like, I'm not even about this. You know what I mean? This is not what I do. Um, this is not even what I'm about. People want to do that. They, they have this agenda for Jesus. And truthfully, we all got agendas for Jesus. But that's another sermon. I'm going somewhere else, so that'll be another day. But the reality of the situation is Jesus is like, hey, I didn't come to deal with all this. But you know what? I can still speak to it because it deals with an ultimate issue that I did come to deal with, which is greed of the heart. Which is, see, the thing about Jesus is, Jesus, you can't hide really from Jesus. See, we could come to church, we could dress nice, look good. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine and heavily favored and flavored in the Lord and, and all of that stuff. We can do all of that to people, right? But the reality, we can't fool Jesus because Jesus looks at the heart. You, you, Jesus looks at the heart. Y'all remember back in the Old Testament when David was about to become king and, and uh, Samuel went to find the king and Samuel's like, okay, it's probably going to be one of these guys, one of, one of Jesse's sons that are kind of big, got it together. But God doesn't look at man the way that we do. He looks at what? The heart. And so our hearts, we cannot hide from God. The reality of our hearts, we cannot hide from God. And so I believe that possibly this man obviously had some greed in his heart and his reasoning for wanting to force his brother to give him this wasn't just because it was lawful for him to have it, but his heart was so entrenched and in, uh, 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 hungry to have this in a covetous way. And so Jesus says to him, he says, but he said, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then look at verse 15. He says, and he said to them, take care 
and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So, so Jesus takes this so-called earthly thing that this dude wants to deal with and gets deeper into the heart of the issue. And it was that this man was finding his acceptance, his identity in what he had. And Jesus says, you know what? Your life does not consist in what you have. And that's so countercultural. Jesus' message was so countercultural. Because society tells us, how big is your portfolio? What's your 401k looking like? What kind of stocks and bonds you got? What kind of drunk car you drive? What's your house looking like? What kind of furniture you got in your house? What, what kind of stuff do you have? And then what we do is, even us who know the living God, we get caught up in that. And then we start to see these things as our identity instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, because so, that's what we do, right? We're like, man, I ain't got that, so man, my life is jacked. It's wasted, because I, I don't have what bruh got. And it's not, it could be preachers. My church ain't as big as Jamal's. I ain't got what he got, so my life's really wasted. It could be whatever. And that's the reality of our hearts. And God is saying that, that's, I don't judge wasted lives based on what you have, but who you are by having a new heart in Jesus Christ. And so the way he illustrates this is he tells the story of a man who wasted his life. And I believe if we examine 16 through 21 and really look at this, we'll see some things that can help us to continue in our walk with God. So he... he um, he talked about um, the uh, example of a wasted life. And there's two pieces to this, I believe. One of them is a misdirected worship. A misdirected worship. A misdirected worship. Look at the text in verse 16. And he, talking about Jesus, told a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I think it's so interesting that the text says that his land produced plentiful. And why that's interesting is because his land couldn't produce plentiful unless the God of the universe blessed it to do that. The Bible says in... The Bible actually says, when you look at um, James chapter 1, verse 17, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. So the reality of the situation is this man had all this stuff, but it was because God blessed his land. But get this, the man, but get this, think about this. Let me, let me, let me, let me see, let me give you a story first and then I'll make my point. Some of you guys got children, some of you guys got nieces and nephews, some of you got uh, grandchildren and all of that, right? Imagine if you went out to the store tomorrow, bought the brand new iPad for your child, brought it home to them, they grabbed the iPad and run off and just are worshiping and loving the iPad, putting, spending all their time with the iPad, living for the iPad, and never thank you, the one who gave it. That's the reality of this situation. God is our Father. He gave this man a gift of plentiful land, 
Okay? There's nothing wrong with having money and plentiful land. These are gifts from God that should point us to God and not the thing. That's why I love what Paul says in Romans 1.25. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Paul is writing in chapter 1 of Romans, and he's writing about the sinfulness of humanity. And he's talking about how God is, he's revealed to creation who he is uh, through creation. And the people have seen that, and they worship creation instead of him. And that's what we do, y'all. God gives us good gifts that should point us to him as our ultimate source of joy. But what we do is we worry about the gift and worship the gift. We worship the gift. And you know what's funny? The gift never satisfies. You know how I know that? Let me see. I'm going to tell on myself again. Me and my wife just bought our first home uh, back in October. We bought a home in Port Duval, got a really good deal. We like our home a lot. Man, we was excited when we first got the house. Boy, I'm telling you, we was excited. We was homeowners. You know, you walk in, you got the key. This is my house, you know. And so we walk in the house, and you know how that is, though. You got to paint. You got to get this. You got to get that. You got to fix this. You got to fix that. And it was like we would start fixing stuff. And the more stuff that we fixed, one day it came to me, I'm never satisfied. The more I do, the more I really want to do to it. Because everything I do to it never ultimately satisfies me. Right? Because I'm sitting there one day in the living room, I'm like, man, I fixed this. You know what, man, I want to do this. And you know what, I want to do that. And I got to thinking, I said, if I did all that, there'd be more I want to do. Get this. Let me, let me be real. You could put me in LeBron James' career. I'd be cool for about a month or two, but I guarantee that I'd find something that I want to fix. You know why? Because no matter what we get, our hearts are so wicked that they actually cause us to hunger and desire more thinking that that would satisfy us instead of allowing what God gives us to point us to him as our ultimate joy, our ultimate satisfaction, and then really be satisfied. Nothing wrong with having stuff, nothing wrong with doing stuff, but our ultimate joy can't be in that. And I love, I love what Jesus does in verse 15. Because he says... He, he says in verse 15, let me go ahead and just read it so I know I'm saying correct. He, he says, and he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Against all covetousness. See, Jesus is not saying they want the stuff. It's just the heart behind why you want the stuff. It's funny that he says that too. I think it's so, so, so interesting that he actually says that. Because covetousness is really idolatry. In, in, in Colossians 3, 5, Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You know why covetousness is the idolatry? Can I tell you why? Because let me give you what the definition of covetousness actually is. Covetousness is actually continuing lusting after more and more. It's continuously, and in this case, because if you've got the NIV, it doesn't use the word covetousness. It uses the word greed. 
And I believe that greed is actually the same thing, but I also think that it can be a form of it because all covetousness is not necessarily based on you being greedy for money. It could be you greedy for somebody else's spouse, somebody else's house, somebody else's church, somebody else's job, somebody else's whatever. And then what happens is it's idolatry because you know why it's idolatry? See, because a lot of us don't understand idolatry. See, a lot of us think, I don't worship Buddha. You know, I don't have no little Chinese statues of Buddha, or I shouldn't say Chinese, statues of, you know, in my house, uh, of those kind of things. You know, I, I don't worship uh, uh, that. I don't do any of that. So we think, I'm not, I'm not, idol- I'm not idolatrous. And that's no disrespect to, to Chinese people at all, but just those kind of little statues, basically. But what I'm saying is, is that, what I'm saying is, is that, just because we don't worship that stuff doesn't mean that we're not idolatrous. Because you want me to tell you how you, how you can know what you, all of us have idols. I don't care who you are. You got idols. You know how I can tell you what your idols are? I want you guys right now to close your eyes. And I want you to think about what is that one thing, or more than one thing, that you say, if I could have that, I'd be satisfied. Whatever that thing is, that's an idol in your heart. But not only that, it doesn't even have to be what I, it doesn't even have to be worshiping after what you don't have. Keep your eyes closed and think about what's that thing that you feel like if I lose this, my whole life would fall apart. It could be a child, it could be a marriage. If, if you put anything in either one of those blanks besides God, that's what your idol is and that's what you're worshiping. That's your idol and that's what you are actually worshiping. And this man's idol, what he worshipped, was the things that God gave him, but not the God who gave them to him. But not only did he worship the things that God gave him, look at what he put his energy into. Watch the text. Look what his energy is in. His energy. The text says in verse 18, and he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Listen to this. When you figure out what those idols are in your heart, you'll also notice that's what you put all of your energy into. You'll notice that's what you put all your energy into. Because listen, look at look at this. Look at what it says about the man. It says, listen to what it says about the man. It, it says about him that, man, you know, I got all this stuff. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to build bigger barns and tear down the ones I got and build bigger ones so I can get more and more and more and more stuff. Can you see us? I got to get a bigger house because I want more stuff. I got to get a better job, not so that I can bless the work of God, but so I can get more stuff. This man spent his life building up all this stuff. Can you see his 401ks? 
insurance policies, all of this stuff that we fill our lives with, thinking that it'll satisfy us. And listen, y'all, there, I, I got to keep saying there's nothing wrong with having stuff. But what was his motivation for the stuff? The motivation was he found security in it. He said, if I could just have more stuff. And that's some of us right now, you're thinking, if I could just get 10,000 more dollars, if I could just get one more car, if I could just get one more something, then it'll all work out. And you'll chase that for the rest of your life if you don't watch it. If you don't fight that in your heart, you will chase that for the rest of your life. So he found his security in it. But also he thought that was his joy. This is what he says. We're going to drink. We're going to eat. We're going to be, I'm going to be merry. I'm going to have a big party. Look at all the stuff I have. I'm going to enjoy it forever. It's what he thought. But look at God's response in verse 20. God's response in verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. It's interesting that God calls this man a fool. You know why it's interesting that God calls this man a fool? Because he worked so hard in his life to save up stuff to be prepared for tomorrow. But he didn't save up enough to, pay to, to, uh, to be concerned about eternity. He didn't save enough, he didn't, he didn't save enough to, to, to think about eternity. It takes me back to the verse that says, what will a man... How will a man, he'll gain the whole world but lose his soul. What profit is that to him if that happens? This is an example of that. And there are millions of people in America that that is going to be their reality when they stand before the living God. He's going to say, fool, your soul is required of you. No matter how much calculation they had with trying to get everything together, or fool. Your soul is required. And I believe when he says your soul is required, this was an unsaved man who's going to be judged by the wrath of God for all of eternity in a real place called hell because he found his joy in stuff instead of repenting and trusting in the living God through faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus Christ. But what's funny is, then it says, though, and who will have your stuff now? I think that's so funny because think about it. Like, we don't think about that stuff. We're like, oh, I have all this stuff, but who's going to have it when you're gone? I've never seen a brink truck follow a funeral procession. I got a joke for you. Um, a preacher, uh, he told this joke about how a guy had died, and before he died, he told his wife, promise me that when I die, you'll bury me with $20,000. And the lady says, okay. So she sit at the man's funeral. Somebody's sitting next to her, and as he's sitting next to her, um, Another lady sitting next to her, and she tells the story to the lady. And the lady's like, well, did you do it? She said, yeah, he told me I had to. She said, I wrote him a check. Some of y'all get that in the parking lot. Because, because there's, you're not taking anything with you. All these things that you think are going to bring you all of this security will mean nothing when you stand before Almighty God. It'll just be a wasted life. So how do we take care and stay on guard against covetousness since 
Life does not consist in what you have. Basically, you're not wasting your life based on what you have. How, how do we deal with that? You know, I, I could give you answers like, well, man, put a three-step budget in place where you give so much to this and so much to that and, and do this and do that and watch out for this. Don't buy this. Don't go into stores because if you go into stores, then what will happen is you'll buy stuff. Listen, sin never comes from the outside. It starts in your heart. So the issue is not me giving you a whole lot of laws to just, okay, I'm here now. I'm good. Nothing around me. Nothing around me. Because you know what will happen if you do that? You'll have a false righteousness. Let me tell you how I know that. Listen, guys that are dealing with porn, we, it's college day. Guys that are dealing with porn, the answer is not to bust your computer up. You know why? Because then you'll just, you won't sin outwardly because you don't have the opportunity. But the heart issue will still be lusting after porn. Ladies who struggle with, ladies struggle with porn too, let's be real. You know, I know we don't talk about that, but they do. Whatever it is, you, you, you putting these fences around you. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you don't use wisdom and things like that. I'm not saying young people, you know, yeah, you could go over to somebody's house at 3 o'clock in the morning and watch Love and Basketball of Opposite Sex because legalism is what keeps you from doing that. I'm not saying that. You know, that's not smart. I mean, there, there's wisdom, obviously, that comes from a heart that is, is saturated in the gospel. But just putting these mere outward things in place will not fix the issue. Because you have a wicked heart, and I have a wicked heart, and my heart and your heart is prone to wander from God. It's just my heart is prone to wander from God. The only way to fix the issue is not to stay away from the world, but deal with what's happening right here in my own heart. So the text says the answer is verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, so, the, per- so, so the, the person who's going to be judged in, in this wrath is the person who lays up treasure for themselves, wastes their life on that stuff, but is not rich towards God. So then how do I become rich towards God? Well, the reality of the situation is there's only one answer to that question. See, the answer is the same for everybody in this room, believer and non-believer. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only answer to the wickedness of the human heart. So I say to you, unbeliever, if there's anybody in there that is an unbeliever, I plead with you that you can't start doing good. The Bible says clearly in Jeremiah that can a leopard change his spots or Ethiopian his skin color? It says, no, neither can you who are evil do good. You can't. You need a new heart. You need God by the power of his spirit to come in and give you a new heart that causes you to turn from sin and trust in Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation and put his spirit within you and cause you to walk in his ways by the power of his gospel and his spirit. That's the answer to you, non-Christian. And Christian, the gospel is the answer to you too. It's not put a whole bunch of legalism in place. You were saved by faith. You're continuing to be saved by faith in the cross. So the answer is that you've got to cry out to the living God and ask him, God, fill my heart with affection for you. Satisfy my heart in the gospel of Jesus Christ, my only hope, because if that doesn't happen in my heart, then I will not, I will not love you, God. I'll continue to run from you, God. 
If you don't do something in my heart, I can put things in place, I can, but that's not going to work because my heart will still hunger. I need you to be the ultimate joy of my heart, God. It's the only answer. The answer, and so it is not, I'm going to say to you, Christian, don't beat yourself down now. If you're a Christian, you are saved by faith. So if you struggle with materialism, welcome to the ball game. Welcome to the ball game. Welcome. We, we have this Christian thing jacked up. We think that just because we're Christians, we walk around with nothing. No, I can be real about with you about my sin. You know why? Because you didn't save me. My righteousness is not based in you, but in the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And he has made me right. He has made me whole. So you don't have to be scared today. Christian. But glory in the gospel, the fact that you're right with God through faith in Christ alone, and just meditate on that and get that, ask the Spirit to put that in your heart and in your mind. Because you know what? The more that you, you see, you know what the problem is? Let me, let me throw one more thing in. Some people think if you preach like that, you say it's just by faith. Then that means people just go out and do whatever they want. No, they won't. If they really understand the gospel of grace, that God has accepted you and you're cleansed all your sin and shame is under the blood of Jesus Christ. If you know that, that's going to give you affection not to run from God in fear, but run to Him as a Father that loves you and has accepted you. And as you do that, as we trust more and more in the cross, the Bible says in, um, in, um, in uh, I love 2 uh, Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled faces... Behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the image of the one from one degree of glory to another. For that comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So as we glory in the cross, he's changing us. He's transforming us. He's making us new. And then what happens is when the gospel gets in your heart, you'll start to see your money different. And then you'll start to do what the Bible says where it says store up treasures for yourself in heaven. But it's not going to happen just because you put some laws in place, Christian. God's got to do something in our hearts. So we have to cry out to God that every day he will be our joy and our satisfaction and that the cross alone is all I have. And God, let the cross change my whole life. And that's when that stuff will start happening. So I end by saying to you, life is not about what you have. It is who you have. And if you do not have Christ and are not living for him and his glory, you will waste your life. I don't care how much this world gives you. I don't care if you live the next hundred years and make $8 an hour for the rest of your life. If you have Christ and you're living for his glory and doing much for his name, you have not wasted your life. Because this isn't the end of life. When you die, so, and you know some people... What happens when I die, though? What if I don't get the car before I die? What if I don't get this before I die? Don't look at death that way, Christian. Look at death not as the end of life, but the beginning of the true life in Jesus Christ. But non-Christian, you should fear today the wrath of Almighty God because you have sinned and I have sinned against a holy God who hates sin in every single way. And God has to punish sin. He has to, because if he doesn't, he's not holy. Think about it. If tomorrow somebody walked into my house, killed me and my wife, and the judge, they caught the person that did it, and the judge said, I'm going to let him go free. 
You be furious because a good judge punishes evil. And so God is the ultimate judge. He has to punish our wrath because our sin, you know what our sin really is? Our sin is a direct shot at trying to charge the kingdom of heaven and try to cut God's head off so that we can be on the throne. That's what our sin really is. And God hates our sin. He's got to pour out wrath and send us to a real place called hell. But God, he doesn't want that. So, so then the question becomes, how can God save me without denying his holiness? Because if he just sweeps my sin under the rug, he's not holy. How he does it is Jesus became, a, God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Came to earth, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law in every way so that you don't have to. And he died on a cross paying the full price for every sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future. And he calls everybody everywhere to turn from sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone as the only hope of their sin being forgiven. And if you will do that, God will take every sin you've ever committed, put it on the cross on his son, and put his perfect life on you as if you lived a perfect life. And that's what we call the great exchange. God, the perfect son of God, takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. That's the gospel. And it's the greatest love of the universe. And I'm going to tell you why. If you were in a car with somebody and they had a bag full of dope, police pull them over, and they drop the dope in your lap, you wouldn't take it for them. But God, Jesus took God's wrath for you, even though he did nothing wrong. So unbeliever, I plead with you, repent and believe the gospel. Believer, I plead with you, repent and believe the gospel. Repent of your, 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 your sin of thinking that this world offers you something and run to the all-joyous Jesus Christ who can only satisfy you. And so I end just by saying to you, so what will you do with this life? What will you do with this life? I plead with you not to waste it. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Christ, God, we love you, we honor you, we praise you. Father, help us, God, to live for your glory. Father, help us to be satisfied in Jesus Christ alone, because if we could do that, we, will, we, won't, we won't run to sin, God. Why is it, God, that we continue to run the trash when there's treasure in front of us in you? Father, show us the trash of this sinful world and show us the glory of how awesome you are and cause us to run to you as children, as children to their, to their father. Father, I just pray this message doesn't fall on deaf ears. Help it to help me, God. I have a sinful heart, God, and I treasure things in this world, and I think I've wasted my life at times. Help me not to do that. Help me to know by the power of your gospel that that's not true. It's a lie of the enemy. Please, God, get glory out of our lives. Because you getting glory out of our lives, that's the only way our life is not wasted, period. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. I love y'all. God bless you. Let's praise God for the message and the messenger. Amen.